Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday afternoon or Friday morning or whatever it is. There's a lot of news to talk about, so let's just jump into it. Get ready to work or get the fuck out. Right, that's not just what I yell at my children as they make your beautiful bastard hoodies for this next drop in my basement. It's also what Elon Musk just told Twitter, writing in a midnight email to the company's employees that Twitter is shifting to an engineer-driven operation, which, quote, will need to be extremely hardcore going forward. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade, and adding that they have until Thursday, today, to make a decision on whether or not they want to stay. The source is also telling the Washington Post that members of Twitter's trust and safety team who keep hate speech and misinformation off the platform were discussing a mass resignation as of yesterday, which, I mean, if that happens, could throw content moderation into chaos. Recalling Twitter the Wild West would be a massive understatement. You know, I think there is a, a genuine question of who's going to be at this company in a month, where he laid off half the 7,500 workers when he got there, and all of this coming just after he tabled the $8 blue checkmark feature, tweeting that it won't relaunch until November 29th, which also, regarding those $8 subscriptions, reportedly not getting them anywhere near the money that they need. And all this happening at a time where many big advertisers seem to be getting scared away. Right? That including General Motors, Volkswagen, General Mills, Eli Lilly, Balenciaga. Like, there was already concern, but the whole parody account debacle made things so much worse. Also, there's been a review of Twitter data trying to find out who is subscribing to Blue Verify and finding a decent chunk of the accounts were promoting right-wing politics, cryptocurrency speculation, and adult content such as pornography. So that's why many see what Musk's doing here is him, like, desperately desperately dumping buckets of water off the ship for a company that some analysts say that he bought for double what it was actually worth. And all this is Twitter is expected to owe roughly $1 billion in annual interest on top of recouping the investments of Musk's many equity partners. And so you take all of that and it makes it less shocking that yesterday Musk said that he plans to reduce his time at the company and eventually find a new leader who can take the helm. But those are just words and uh, we'll have to wait to see what the actions are. And then this FTX collapse is getting uglier and uglier. So earlier this week, we talked about the failed crypto platform FTX. A lot of people have lost their ass on this. I mean, we're talking billions of billions of dollars at play. And so now among the things that we're seeing, you have investors suing the platform for $11 billion in damages. They're also more specifically suing its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried. And there's also a list of names with a lawsuit also coming for the throats of all the celebrities that endorsed FTX, including Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Naomi Osaka, Larry David, and the list goes on and on. And the suit claiming that they engaged in a conspiracy to defraud investors and violated Florida state laws requiring securities to be registered and prohibiting unfair business practices. And adding that the fraudulent scheme was designed to take advantage of unsafe sophisticated investors from across the country who utilize mobile apps to make their investments. And very pointedly saying that FTX's entire existence is a Ponzi scheme. Also singling out FTX's not an expert campaign where we saw people like Curry saying this in ads. Quote, I'm not an expert and I don't need to be. With FTX, I have everything I need to buy, sell, and trade crypto safely. Also another major point of this story being that Alameda Research, a sister company and trading fund started by FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried and run by Caroline Ellison, was secretly borrowing customer funds from FTX and gambling them away through risky investments. Now here, Bankman-Fried denied knowing any of that was happening, instead saying he was essentially distracted before realizing it was too late. But for many, regardless of if that's true or not, it hardly makes this any less damning. Also, when I said this situation's getting worse and worse, it gets worse from here. Because in an interview published yesterday, Bankman-Fried told a Vox reporter via Twitter DM things like, Fuck regulators, they make everything worse. They don't protect customers at all. Which, hey, wouldn't be the weirdest thing a crypto bro has ever said, except Bankman-Fried is one, reportedly under investigation by the SEC and DOJ alongside FTX, you know, regulators. And two, before FTX collapsed, this motherfucker was very actively engaged in lobbying for a regulatory framework for cryptocurrency. But in this new DM exchange, he fully admits those efforts were just PR. Though he does later say that consumer protection is a good thing, he just doesn't think regulators can deliver on it. Also, the more I look at this story, the, the more I think there cannot be a lawyer who is advising this person right now. Because it does feel like if there was a competent lawyer anywhere in his vicinity, they would tell him to shut the fuck up. Right? Because in that same exchange, he admits to a lot of things, like his talk around ethics in the past was just, quote, dumb 
shit I said that, quote, it's not true, not really, and agreeing that it was mostly a front, with him adding that the talk around ethics is this, quote, dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and so everyone likes us, with his final big takeaway being, I fucked up big multiple times, and saying that his biggest fuck up was filing for bankruptcy, though, also noting that he has two weeks to raise $8 billion for FTX account holders, uh, though there, the Vox reporter saying, and I agree, I have no idea how anyone can possibly pull that off from this starting point. But also, switching gears back to the celebrity aspect of this, I do wonder if all of this is going to affect celebrity endorsements, right? Because it is not out of the question at this point that at least some of these celebrities are going to be held partially liable. And we're already seeing things like last month, Kim Kardashian agreeing to pay $1.26 million after the SEC charged her for failing to disclose that she had been paid to promote Ethereum Max tokens. But they're also having to agree to not promote any other crypto securities for the next three years. And I also mention that because that's something that one of the investors directly cited in his filing for the FTX suit. And that's a key thing because, I mean, how many times over the last two years have we talked about celebrities and influencers promoting shit coins? Right, Logan and Jake, Paul, FaZe Clan, Tana Mojo, fucking Dobrix. How, th there's, the list is endless. So it's very possible that world and that pipeline going to implode or maybe it evolves. But as we wait to see what happens with this FTX clusterfuck, the question I want to pass off to you, yes, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts in general, but if you or someone you know has been affected by the FTX collapse, I'd love to hear from you. And then, OnlyFans recently decided to do the Belle Delphines of the world a favor, with them now reportedly partnering with e-commerce company Spring to allow their 3 million content creators to sell merch directly from their profile, right? Direct link to a storefront from their OnlyFans page. And for OnlyFans, this doesn't appear to be just like a cash grab, saying, in fact, they will not be taking a cut from the merch sales. Right? The creator sets the price for the product, and whatever profit there is goes directly to them. Though here, I will say it is interesting. Usually I feel like adult platforms are the ones that kind of pave the way. OnlyFans here kind of late to the e-commerce party. Our platforms like Meta, YouTube, and TikTok have slowly been expanding into the industry for years. I am also interested to see what kind of custom products, if any, they will do for these stars. Right, Belle Delphine, when she has sold out a $30 a piece bath water, that's something that comes to mind. So very interesting move. It'll be interesting to see if it's it's widely adopted. Right, Part of the reason OnlyFans is so profitable for the people that actually use it is that all the products digital so do you want people to like request a special thing for 40 to 100 dollars and then other than the OnlyFans split you get all of that money or do you want that person to spend 40 to 100 dollars but you got to split your money with spring first because while OnlyFans says they're not getting a cut of the money you know there's the cost of the product and there's the built-in added fee that spring's putting on their products right, so the question is is this additional income or does it cannibalize your income because all of a sudden you're having to split more for another product but Separate from that, in a very biased way, I want to end this story. If you're a content creator and you're looking for a fantastic merch and or membership solution, you should go to fourthwall.com. There's a reason I ditched Spring, then Teespring, and several of their uh, competitors back in the past. And in fact, I'm such a believer in Fourth Wall. I invested in the company. They have some easy turnkey things, or if you want to go way more custom, like there, there are solutions for everyone. And then I want to thank a fantastic sponsor of the PDS, Baksu. Baksu is my favorite Japanese snack box. They work with family businesses throughout Japan to send you a new theme of authentic treats every month. The first baksu you'll receive is Seasons of Japan, curated by their snack experts to taste Japan's four seasons and what a year of baksu would be like. And after that, you'll receive new theme boxes each month. Personally, I've been loving these edamame rice crackers. I gotta remember to reorder those and oh my god, the apple caramel sable cookies. I just ate that with my coffee. Next level. Need. Absolutely need more. And something that's really cool is that each baksu teaches you a few Japanese phrases and comes with a culture guide that takes you through the theme, the origins of the snacks, and details on the flavors. And hey, if not for yourself, though, you should definitely get one for yourself. Baksu 
Yasu also has the makings for a fantastic gift. You get to give someone you love a fun and unique food experience while also, hey, supporting the show at the same time. So click that link in the description now and use code DeFranco to get $15 off your first Baksu order. And then, the monster who turned a Christmas parade into a living nightmare last year has finally been served justice. Right, it was supposed to be a beautiful event for the community of Waukesha County, Wisconsin. You had dancers, marchers, floats celebrating the holidays. But then out of nowhere, an SUV swings onto Main Street and it topples barriers and plows through crowds of people. And that driver was 40-year-old Daryl Brooks, who had a long criminal history, including actually running over the mother of his child just weeks before, as well as resisting or obstructing an officer, bail jumping, recklessly endangering safety, disorderly conduct, and battery. Which is part of the reason so many people were saying, how the hell was this guy out with the public? And it turned out he was out on a $1,000 bail, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. But he was out, and he ended up killing six and injuring dozens more here than fleeing the scene, but soon being arrested. With all that leading to his trial last month, where he represented himself, pled not guilty, and then was convicted on all 76 counts, including six for first-degree intentional homicide, which carry mandatory life sentences. But also, all of this wasn't as simple as it sounds, because Brooks is a sovereign citizen. Just in case you've never been down this rabbit hole, sovereign citizens are people who believe that the government is illegitimate, saying that it was taken over by a shadowy cabal in the 19th century and turned into a corporation that enslaves people with financial contracts, with estimates putting their numbers in the hundreds of thousands. And while their specific beliefs vary sometimes, they're also anti-Semitic, the point is that they don't think that the laws apply to them. So unsurprisingly, when you put someone that diluted into a courtroom, you get a circus. And that's exactly what happened with Brooks constantly disrupting testimony, pounding his fists on the table, staring menacingly at the judge, rolling his eyes as the victim spoke, and ranting about his rights being violated. And I could show you all of that, and you'd be fucking blown away by all the video if you haven't seen it already. But that's not why I'm covering this story. Fuck that monster. This motherfucker was trying to perform, I only want to talk about your fucking curtain call. And actually using that to provide a platform for your victims. Because this week, they gave their impact statements during sentencing, and it was absolutely crushing. Though even that couldn't just happen. You saw the entire courtroom being evacuated after police alerted that someone had made a threat, but when the building was secured, the proceedings resumed. That was when you saw the grief and the rage flood the room, with Jessica Gonzalez, who was at the parade, describing the carnage. Then the gasps and screams came from everywhere, and the red SUV sped past us. I yelled stop and put my hands out like I had the power to make it happen. She describes running to find her son, seeing the body of his eight-year-old friend, Jackson Sparks, who was killed that day, right there on the ground. Seeing Jackson on the ground, I began looking for my son amongst the rest of the bodies. I screamed hysterically, searching frantically. What ifs filled my head. I heard mom from so many directions but it wasn't him. And while she's fortunate enough to find her son unharmed, she says they were deeply traumatized by the experience and felt survivor's guilt. You also had this heart-wrenching speech from Sherry Sparks, Jackson's mother. I wish I would have known then that the hug he gave me before I went to sit down was the last hug I would ever get from him. I would have held on to him a lot longer. <laughs> She describes seeing a police officer carrying Jackson to get medical attention, finding her other son Tucker lying half-conscious among the bodies, saying both boys went to the ICU with severe head and brain injuries. The next day, Tucker asked us about Jackson, if he was okay or was he worse than himself. Do you have any idea how gut-wrenching it is to have to explain your 12-year-old son that his little brother isn't going to make it? His injuries are too extensive for his little body to come back from and that he won't be coming home with us ever again. He was robbed of everything. He'll never get to hit a home run, catch frogs with his brother again, meet his wrestling hero, Braun Strowman. He won't ask a girl to prom. He won't go to college get married or have children of his own. We then heard from Alicia Kulik, daughter of Jane Kulik, who talks about arriving at the hospital after finding out her mom had been struck. I'll 
never forget the things I saw that day. I will never forget the chaos of parents searching for their children, demanding answers as we were for my mom. I specifically remember seeing the extreme dancers with gashes in their head and cuts all over their body and blood all over their clothes. In one direction, I saw one girl, probably no older than 10, seizing in her wheelchair, and the mother just screaming, not knowing what to do for her precious child. Describing how she waited there with her dad and her sister until a doctor finally sat them down and informed them that her mom had died, saying she still hasn't been able to process what happened and that every holiday since hasn't been the same without her. Oftentimes when I hear sirens, I'm scared. I'm scared that another family has to go through what I went through. And adding the, the painful fact that even though she's glad the jury convicted Brooks, it can never bring her mom back. She will not ever make me another dinner. She will not ever attend my wedding. And I'll never get to hear her voice or hug her again. So really, it changes nothing for me. And her sister Taylor Kulik also adding her pain to the courtroom. Mom and I were super tight. I could talk to her about anything in the world. I'm missing those text messages. I miss hearing her voice on the phone and receiving her adorable voicemails. Others directing their anger at Brooks himself, like the son of Lee Owen who was killed in the parade. And you have the audacity to tell this court that your conscience is clear. I'm sorry, Mr. Brooks. There's not a human with a soul on this planet who could snuff that light out who could steal Lee Owen from this world and have a clear conscience. Meanwhile, you have fuckface Brooks doing his whole charade, interrupting the judge and others, leading to this moment from someone in the courtroom. Oh, this piece of shit. Listen up and listen what she has to say. All right. God damn. But despite that, he just keeps arguing with the judge who eventually has enough and just kicks him out of the courtroom. And hey, to quote that guy, hopefully this is gonna be the last time we ever see this worthless piece of shit. Though his family gave their own statement saying that he's mentally ill and pleading for the victim's forgiveness. But ultimately, the judge handed down 762 years behind bars and six life sentences, saying that he shows no remorse, no empathy, and that nobody's safe from him. Some people unfortunately choose a path of evil. And I think, Mr. Brooks, you are one of those such persons. So enjoy your hold, Daryl. The only thing you provided to this world was pain. And now I hope you fester in your own until the day you die. And then, your language is important. Or as others might say, muy importante, moto importante, or hijo ni julio. Personally, I've been rocking through Spanish over the past year. I absolutely love it. And it's always bothered me how bad I sucked at Spanish classes back in high school. But I've come to realize, like, it was the way that it was being taught. But now, thanks to Rocket Languages, and for you, more specifically, BillSpeakSpanish.com, I actually feel like I get it. Like, I'm on a strong path, and it's because hey, if you're a visual learner, boom, they got you covered. Oh no, you're an auditory learner? Doesn't matter. At PhilSpeakSpanish.com, you will learn the best way you know how to learn. And it's built so you can squeeze it into your day, whether it's just five minutes or 45, whether you're doing it on your computer or your phone. And also, not only are they a sponsor, and not only have we teamed up with them at PhilSpeakSpanish.com, if you go and type in Phil Speaks, insert any of these languages, right, Mandarin, Chinese, German, French, Arabic, Russian, Portuguese, Japanese, Korean, Italian, sign language, and more, .com, you can kickstart your new learning adventure. And even better, when you start a trial version of the course, that is yours forever without even entering in a credit card. But also, if you sign up using my link, you'll get 60% off. So get in on it now, open a new world for yourself, or, I mean, holidays around the corner. Could be a great gift. And then, people are getting too high on laughing gas in the Netherlands. Right, so nitrous oxide or laughing gas has become a very popular party drug in Europe. And of course, as things get more popular, people take it to a different 
level. And in fact, some have taken it so far that they're now banning the distribution, sale, or possession of nitrous oxide in the Netherlands in January, with the Dutch Secretary of Health saying, the recreational use of nitrous oxide leads to enormous health risks. In addition, the safety of non-users is also at stake. We have seen enough reports in the news that terrible accidents have happened due to road users using laughing gas. With that, referencing the nearly 1,800 car accidents that nitrous oxide has allegedly been involved in. With that number, notably including over 60 fatal collisions. Now, here's the deal. People have been getting high like this for years. But then, it was made so much easier to do so in 2017 with the emergence of cheap 2,000 gram tanks of nitrous oxide. And in the two years following their appearance, the Dutch Neurologist Association found that 64 people with an average age of 22 have been treated for partial spinal cord injuries due to laughing gas abuse. And of course, that's in addition to other neurological symptoms, including paralysis, that have been reported. When I say that people have been taking it to a different level, there was this one extreme case where a man went through eight of these 2,000 gram tanks in one day by himself. Also, and I feel like it's necessary, or at, at the very least helpful with stories like this, where the, the main point is, hey, y'all, drugs are bad. When I was a much younger man, I fucked with some nitrous oxide, primarily whippets. It genuinely may be the dumbest fucking thing you will ever do in your life. I don't regret much in my life, I regret that. Like just in general, but also return on investment wise. You're doing so much fucking damage to yourself for the quickest high in the world. So leave nitrous oxide for the legitimate uses. Or being used by hospitals and dentists as an anesthetic and a sedative and in catering for whipped cream. Which also, I think that is gonna make it harder for the Dutch government. Where they're still gonna need to facilitate sales of laughing gas for its correct purposes while blocking it for personal use. And that, I think realistically, is not gonna be an easy thing to do. And then, so it's official. Republicans have taken control of the House. More than a week after election day and the party just barely secured the chamber. But as the New York Times put it, Republicans managed to make their victory in the House seem like a loss by underperforming so badly. This is not at all the margin they expected or hoped for. This is happening while there's also a handful of races that have still yet to be called. Now, if you're like me, you also probably thought, well, the, the Republicans still won at the end of the day. But then I also have to remind myself the fact that there was such a narrow majority is very significant and not just like symbolic. Or when it comes to politics, there's a lot of talk about like symbolic victories. At the end of the day, actual victories matter more. But here, as many experts have noted, with such a small majority, it's gonna be very hard for the Republican leadership to do things because they're basically gonna need the entire party to join together on key votes. Something, given the fact that divisions appear to be growing stronger and stronger within the GOP, may be hard to do with many blaming Trump for fucking the whole thing up, others still kissing his ass. And so as a result, there are a lot of questions about which way the party's gonna be pulled. And specifically, will the leadership be forced to cave to the more far right wing of the party to secure enough support for their agenda. But also there, it's important to remember, Republicans just have power over one chamber. With Axios explaining, with Democratic control of the U.S. Senate and President Biden's veto power, Republicans will face significant challenges getting any of their legislative priorities passed into law. But I also think that's a short-sighted way to look at this, or because I really do not want to understate the fact that this is a win for Republicans. They will get considerably more power than they had before, right? Republicans will now take control of the congressional committees, which gives them the upper hand in crafting legislation and launching probes. With top GOP members already saying they plan to investigate Biden's son, Hunter, and others raising the possibility of even impeaching Biden, though some have said it's a more extremist position that likely won't have enough backing. I am personally not sure I agree with that, because the ability for them to control the narrative and dominate the news cycle on these issues is very important here. Right? There is still very likely going to be a clown show afoot. But also beyond that, they're going to be given crucial leverage in deciding the federal budget, spending, the debt limit, and other bills needed to keep the government running. Or so we're looking at even more of a possibility of a government shutting down over these kinds of disputes. But arguably, the most significant power that the Republicans are going to have here is the ability to block the Democrats' legislation agenda. Right? I don't even know why there's a conversation about Republicans trying to pass anything. The primary ability and goal here would be to kill the Democrats' agenda. Right? The Senate can pass whatever the fuck they want, but if it can't make its way through the House, it's all for nothing. And so that's one of the reasons it's going to be very interesting to see if the Republicans do vote as a singular block in the House. Because right? it's very possible that a, a small caucus in the House could have a lot of control, right? If there are more moderates that maybe could side with some Democratic things. Though there is also the mindset of it regarding legislation. This isn't going to be a huge difference. Right? With people pointing to the fact over the last two years, you know, that the House has pumped out a 
bunch of legislation. But so much of it didn't matter because in the Senate, the filibuster requires 60 votes on most legislative issues. You know, a lot of what we're talking about here is speculation about what we're going to see in the near future. So to speak on things that are a little more firm or at least closer, well, current House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has been nominated to serve as Speaker of the House in an internal vote among Republicans this week. He still will need to officially win the title in January. Very notably there, he technically doesn't have the 218 votes that he needs right now because while he beat out far-right Representative Andy Biggs by a big margin, 188 to 31, McCarthy is going to need 30 more people to get on board. A process that could require some major compromises with or concession to the right-wing faction of the party. Though there, I mean, even Marjorie Taylor Greene is on McCarthy's side here, so I think people are going to get in line. Could be wrong. We'll see. Also on the subject of changing leadership on the other side of the aisle, we should talk about Nancy Pelosi. She's the current speaker, but she just made the massive announcement that she's going to be stepping down from leadership when Republicans take control in January. Now, with this, Pelosi did clarify that she does not plan to leave Congress, but this is still huge. Right? Lover or hater, Pelosi was the first woman to be Speaker of the House. She's been the face of the House Democrats for the last two decades. With Pelosi's leadership run coming to an end, it's now broadly believed that a new wave of younger Democrats will be ushered into power here, which is also something that many in the party have been pushing for recently. But I mean, the current leadership is made up of three representatives who are all in their 80s, and with Pelosi's exit, the other two are also set to turn over their memberships to younger members. Right shortly after Pelosi's announcement, both House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and House Whip Jim Clyburn announced they would be stepping down as the second and third ranking commands. And as far as who will step up to lead, it's unclear right now, but it is being widely reported that Democratic Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries is slated for the number one spot. And Assistant Speaker Catherine Clark and Vice Caucus Chair Pete Aguilar largely viewed as the top contenders for the number two and three spots. But for now, we're gonna have to wait to see what this shakeup looks like. And then, it has been a long and heartbreaking road for Gabby Petito's family. But today, they did inch closer to the finish line when they settled a wrongful death lawsuit against Brian Laundrie's estate. We covered this story extensively when it happened last year. Laundrie was in a relationship with 22-year-old Gabby Petito. The two were on a cross-country trip. They have a run-in with police after seemingly getting into a domestic incident. She eventually goes missing. Laundrie returns home without her. Her body's later found. There's this giant manhunt for Laundrie, who was a suspect in her death. A whole bunch of craziness ensues, especially with people obsessing over this story on places like TikTok. But ultimately, where the tragedy ended was you had an autopsy confirming that Petito died of strangulation before police later found Laundrie's body in the Everglades, where he killed himself. However, in May, Petito's family also filed a civil suit in Florida against Laundrie's estate, asking for $30,000 in damages due to incurred funeral and burial expenses from his intentional murder of their daughter. And the suit also noting that the Petitos have suffered a loss of care and comfort and suffered a loss of probable future companionship, society, and comfort. So this morning, the Petitos were awarded $3 million after agreeing on a settlement. But understand, they're not going to get anywhere near that figure. Laundry's estate is estimated to be only around $20,000. And given that this is a settlement, Laundry's estate likely doesn't have to admit guilt. But whatever money the Petitos actually do end up getting, they say they plan to donate to the Gabby Petito Fund, which they started to address domestic violence. But also, I think it is important to understand with this news, the, the situation's not done. The Petitos have also filed another lawsuit against the Laundry family, accusing them of helping Laundry flee and of hindering the search for Petito because they knew their son murdered her. And a jury trial for that case is actually going to begin next August. And also earlier this month, the Petitos filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the police in Utah who were involved in that domestic abuse call. But for now, that's where things stand, and hopefully the Petitos can find some sense of justice or peace following just the, the horrible death and murder of their daughter. And that is actually where I'm going to end today's show. Thanks for watching. I love yo faces, and I'll see you on Sunday.